Well, if you're our guest today or if you're a little bit newer around here and uh, you've just heard us go over and over again about how amazed we are with Jesus and you're like, well, that was a nice song. It really was our confession. We are amazed. And gatherings such as this on Sundays are about our remembering who he is and what he does. And that moves us to amazement. So uh, part of the receiving of the Lord's Supper is Jesus's exhortation to us. Remember me. And as we've been extolling him and uh, confessing our amazement with him, uh, no doubt there have been flashes of thought, memories to go through your mind uh, about how great he is and why you're amazed. And so we're going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to share some of your amazement with Jesus as a part of our receiving the Lord's Supper, where we remember him. What would you want to brag on him about today? Simply because of who he is or because of something that he has done for you. We're going to be doing that in just a few minutes and so you can give some thought to that. Before we get there, we're going to uh, do some study and some reflection on the scriptures. And I'll give you one guess what book in the Bible we're in. We're in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, we have been since December. Um, You say, why would you spend so much time in one book? Well, it just seems like God has been leading us to really have a focus on the gospel for these months. The gospel meaning good news. And so we began uh, all the way back in December around Advent and Christmas uh, looking at the good news related to the person of Jesus. Who is this baby that's been born into this world? And then we got into the new year and we began to look more carefully at the teachings of Jesus. And then we got into Lent and Easter and we looked at the passion of Jesus. And then after uh, Easter, we began to look at the authority of Jesus, then the mission of Jesus. All this just verse by verse, chapter by chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. And in the current section of Matthew that we still are under this umbrella of of good news, uh, why it's a blessing to us that he is so active and present in our lives. Uh, Now we're talking about what's it look like to have alignment with Jesus. And this is the third week that we're talking about being aligned with him. And the first week we did so under what I referred to as uh, having a double take on Jesus. Because he was breaking the mold on what everybody else thought Messiah was supposed to look like. And so you kind of have to take a double take. Is that really what Messiah is going to be about? Is that really what Jesus came to do? It certainly was outside of the expectations of John the Baptist. And I think we had a lot of points of identification with John the Baptist at that point. Then last time we were talking about clarifying Some very hard statements from Jesus, condemning statements, and who is condemned and who is not condemned, who's spared. And today we're going to get into what's it look like to be in alignment with him with respect to issues. 
And we're going to get into a few issues, but mostly they'll all be encapsulated in one issue. And we'll extract some of the principles about how he calls us to uh, get in alignment with that one issue and apply it to a lot of other issues. And the, and the primary issue today is going to be in Matthew chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, as we look at Sabbath keeping. Sabbath keeping. So you go, okay, so what in the world is Sabbath? I'm going to, uh, as you hold your finger in Matthew, uh, go backwards into the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Exodus. And there we're going to join Moses on Mount Sinai when God gives him the Ten Commandments. And we're going to see where this commandment that's going to be at the heart of chapter 12 of Matthew, where all that comes from, way back when, thousands of years before Jesus, when God met with Moses on the mount. And as we look at the fourth commandment, uh, we'll find that it is the most described and most explained commandment out of the ten. Uh, It appears to be a pretty big deal to God. The word Sabbath is an old Hebrew word which basically means to cease. More specifically, stop working. And it's based in creation itself. God created all that there is in six days. And on the Sabbath, the seventh day, he ceased. He he stopped working. And so when we get to the commandments, we find that uh, God calls us to observe that Sabbath in a certain kind of way. So look with me. Did I already tell you Exodus 20? Exodus 20. And by the way, we've been saying across the summer, a little more laid back, a little more casual. Uh, we are going to, I think, have time to do a little Q&A. And so if there's a question that pops in your head along the way, we hopefully will have time for you to, to raise that up. So we're just going to look at verse 4, chapter 20. Excuse me, verse 8, fourth commandment. Where God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, quick definition there. Holy just simply means to keep something separate. It doesn't, it's not like every other day. It's a separate day that you keep separate for God. So he said, remember it and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's at least a couple of things that you see here in this commandment that God's up to. One is that he is establishing a pattern in our lives, a cycle, if you will, whereby we stay connected with him. So it's not like you only have to think about him one day a week. He wants to have daily interaction with you, but he especially wants to have a day set aside That's made holy, that is separate from every other day, whereby you, what? Remember. Remember everything from creation and all that he did there throughout all of history and what he's done in this past week, what he's done in this very day. 
even remember the promises he's made that have yet to be fulfilled that we anticipate coming. Remember, remember, reflect, reflect. Take in who God is and how great God is. Be amazed. Be stirred. Be inspired. Be encouraged by who God is and what God does. That's at least one thing that he's up to, uh, whereby we refresh ourselves in him, stay connected to him. The second thing is we identify with him. Beginning with this commandment and throughout all of history to follow, the people of God were, one of the ways they were primarily identified as people of God was that they were Sabbath keepers. So how did you know somebody followed God? He didn't work on the Sabbath. He didn't work on the seventh day. And and you see, it wasn't enough that you just had a day off. But if anybody asked you, why, why are you not working today? Then you would explain, because I follow the Lord God. And I keep this day apart for Him. And there are a number of things that we have engaged on the Sabbath through the years that stir our hearts and keep our hearts soft toward him and uh, commune with him, etc. Now, if you know your days of the week, you know that the seventh day is Saturday, right? And so throughout all of the Old Testament, the Sabbath was Saturday. And the Jewish day began with the evening of Friday, as we would call it. And it would go all the way through Saturday to the evening. And uh, thus, the evening and the morning, you know, were a day. So that may raise the question. I'll just go ahead and anticipate it before we get to the end. You know, then why in the world are we worshiping and setting aside Sundays? Well, uh, when Jesus came and fulfilled his mission and then handed it off to us and ascended back to the Father in glory, Uh, the earliest Christians began to mark his resurrection from the grave, which happened on the first day, Sunday, as the Lord's Day. And followers of Christ, as all the Hebrews had through the centuries identified with God by setting aside Saturday, now followers of Christ identified with Christ by setting aside Sunday, first day of the week. And so the Sabbath day moved today for followers of Christ. Now, when I was a young kid, we're going to be over in Matthew 12 now, uh, having done that little background. When I was a really little kid, um, I was growing up in the South, and across the South, which uh, in those days uh, was such a culture-saturated place with Christianity, There were actually laws in most of the uh, areas uh, across the South that prohibited businesses from being open on Sundays uh, because of this commandment and uh, Christians trying to observe a Sabbath. And so if you wanted anything from the store or if you had to have gasoline for your car or if you uh, needed any kind of food products or if you needed to get something done with some of your livestock or what, you had to take care of all that on Saturday because you weren't going to do it on Sunday. And you could tell the Christ followers, and particularly those who were serious about it, by those who wouldn't harvest their crops on Sundays and wouldn't frequent uh, stores and businesses, and, you know, they weren't open to begin with. So when I, I guess I was around a teenager or whatever, I, I began to recognize, oh, yeah, these laws have begun to go away. 
and uh, gas stations began to be open and stores and restaurants. And the next thing you know, Baptists are racing the Methodists after church to see who gets to the restaurant first <laughs> after church. And it all began to morph and change a little bit. And that raises a whole lot of questions, does it not? So we'll, like I said, we'll get to a little Q&A here in just a minute. So chapter 12, as we continue to look at good news, how Jesus makes himself present in our lives today, and specifically in this section, how it is that we can be in alignment with him, we come upon his encounter with some religious leaders. And let's uh, begin to read the text starting in verse 1. So at that time, what time was it? It was a time right after Jesus had spoken words of condemnation to those in Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin. We talked about that all last week. So now, at that time, he'd been talking to all of his pseudo-followers in those three little towns. At that time, Jesus went through the cornfields on the Sabbath. Well, you can tell a little dramatic piece is being set up now. His disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did? When he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And he went on from there and he entered their synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Well, now, why would they ask him that question? A little set up. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you has a sheep? And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and what had been withered and all crinkled up, was restored and healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And just a quick flash forward as you get into the mockery of a trial that Jesus went through after he'd been arrested and just before he goes to the cross, one of the charges they bring against him is not only being a blasphemer against God, but a Sabbath breaker. And it's things like this that put him into that kind of time. All right, well, let's talk about this for just a few minutes. Uh, you might want to leave that open as we walk through it and, and consider some of the material. So it's Sabbath. They're walking through the field, and uh, the, the disciples are hungry, and so they take some corn and they begin to eat it. Now, that, that in of itself is not a problem. Uh, 
Uh, in fact, the commandments in the Old Testament told farmers that they were to leave some of their crop on the outskirts of their property so that those who are hungry and walking by can come and help themselves. They were only to harvest the inner parts of their fields and leave the outer parts for uh, people that are walking by like that. Um, and that raises another whole set of issues about how believers have responsibility for the hungry. Okay, I'm just loading you with questions here if you want to go there a little bit later, all right? And so uh, uh, they're walking through and they're eating some of this corn. No problem there except for the fact that it is Saturday and it's the Sabbath. And it just so happens that some Pharisees are in proximity so that they can see this. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and that they have uh, questions that set him up uh, so that they can accuse him. Uh, and condemn him. But notice how Jesus responds to their inquiry. He first of all goes to an Old Testament story. You know, they were like, you need to stop your disciples. What are you doing? And he says, don't you remember when David, the ancient King David, like the most esteemed guy in Israelite history, don't you remember when he and some of his men were hungry and they came through and they came into the holy place where the bread is made for uh, only the priest to consume. And, and out of their hunger, they ate the, the bread that only priests are supposed to consume. And that was not something that was permitted, but he was able to do that. What's the point in that? This is not apples and apples. Uh, you know, on one hand, we've got a guy coming in and eating bread reserved for priests that's holy and sanctified for priests. And we've got somebody else talking about Sabbath. He's not talking apples and apples. He's got apples and oranges that he's comparing here. But here's the point. And he will get to that uh, with a declaration. This isn't a matter of what can happen or not happen in a temple or in a synagogue or in a holy place with holy things. This is about authority. And because David was who David was, on whatever missions that God had put out there for him, he could go. And when uh, it was necessary to feed his men, take temple bread to do that. And by the way, Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is an, this is an authority issue. They said... Um, now, you get it that there are some exceptions to the whole Sabbath-keeping point. Uh, because if you have a sheep that falls into a pit or into a ditch on the Sabbath, uh, you're allowed by the law to go and retrieve that animal so the animal doesn't die. Do you not think people matter more than sheep? What an interesting little exchange and dialogue. And so, uh, with Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that he can do different things with the Sabbath because people matter more than animals. And thus, when he encounters the guy with the withered hand and he's all crippled up, he can heal on the Sabbath. Now, that was not an automatic given because there were all these rules about what you could or could not do on the Sabbath. And, and tending to someone medically was, was not in the list. In fact, the, the list was so precise, you could not untie a knot on the Sabbath because that would be work. You could not look in a mirror 
for fear that you might see a gray hair and pluck it, and that would be harvesting. And we could go on and on with all the minutia of, of how the pharisaical uh, system had expanded upon the fourth commandment. Now, remember, what's the fourth commandment all about? It's about establishing a cycle in your life whereby you are frequently, regularly remembering God in powerful, thorough kinds of ways. And it's a way of identifying you to a watching world that you are a follower of God, a follower of Christ. So all that minutia that uh, the pharisaical system had, you know, created, which basically were, were means to control people and esteem themselves and so on like that, had gotten away from the spirit of what God had been doing in the commandment. And that was to keep it holy so that we regularly commune and that you identify yourself as my follower. And so, uh, do you think that Jesus' activity on the Sabbath was identifying his connection with the Father? So I'm going to pause there. Because uh, we've, we've stirred up a bunch of stuff. And just see, you have some things that you want to talk about. You have some questions, and we'll, we'll just give uh, a few minutes to it. And if you don't, we'll move, move ahead. But anything that you wanted to talk about in uh, what we've been talking about with this whole Sabbath thing? Yes, ma'am. So this is by way of uh, sharing. My family ancestry is Jewish. Yes. And so we visited my mom's uh, Orthodox Jewish cousins on the Sabbath once when I was about middle school and uh, the experience of it was incredible that there's this flurry of making food on Friday afternoon just taking over the kitchen everything laid out I'm not sure um, if you're you don't cook not on Saturday Um, you don't turn lights on or off so the forethought about what lights were going to be on and off on the house um, and then two hours at dinner, Old Testament prayers, chanting, uh, real time of family, and then all day Saturday, uh, sitting and reading and being together. Um, no driving. You don't. I was gonna say they go to synagogue. You do, but you don't but they, drive there. You they choose to, to live close enough right. to the synagogue so they can walk and not yeah. drive. And then the phone rings on Saturday, and they say, "Well, I wonder who's calling." And right. my mind, I think, "Well, answer the phone." And says, "Well, no, no one we know calls us on Saturday." So right. it must be a solicitor. Right. <laughs> so so that's the way it is for Orthodox. Yeah. Obviously, a lot, lot of other Jews, they don't. I'm sure don't. you're allowed to open the refrigerator or anything, so the food is laid out mm-hmm. all day on the table. So, anyway. Interesting point. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. I had read um, that there was something to do with uh, changing it to Sunday instead of Saturday. It was nothing like what you said. It had to do with some pagan ritual of the, the Greeks or the Romans.
Oh, welcome back, guys. Newest married couple in the, in the room, sitting right here, Danny and Emily. I just now saw them. Right yes, ma'am. Tell them the one about when you were mowing the lawn. I had decided I wouldn't tell them that one. <laughs> but thank you, my dear wife. <laughs> but no, I, I real quickly... Um, so when I was uh, a pastor back in Kentucky uh, a century ago, um, my family was getting ready to take a vacation. We were going to be gone for two weeks. And I had uh, preached on Sunday morning, and then we were going to be taking off Sunday afternoon. And we were going to be Sabbathing for a couple of weeks. And I knew that um, my yard was going to be in an awful, awful way if I didn't have one last cut before I was gone for two weeks. And so I knew that if uh, people in the community saw the local pastor cutting his lawn on Sunday in that cultural context, it was going to be bad. And I, I wrestled with that and I prayed about that. And uh, somebody said, well, why didn't you just ask somebody else to cut it later in the week? I never, absolutely never thought about it. <laughs> I was just thinking, how am I going to get this done? And so uh, I decided that I was going to run and cut the yard. And then we're going to be in the car and we're gone. And so, uh, and, and hopefully nobody would see me. And so uh, I, I go out there and I, I run and I cut the grass. And this is in, you know, late June. It's really hot and I'm sweating big time. And my, my neighbor over here, who's a Methodist, uh, saw me cutting the yard. And he just couldn't resist. And so uh, he literally comes riding over on his riding mower. <laughs> And he comes up to my fence line and he, you know, he motions me over. So I stop running. I let go of my mower. It turns off. And I go over there. And um, one of the Old Testament references that Jesus was kind of hinting at is if you have a sheep that falls into a ditch, which of you wouldn't pull it out. Another Old Testament reference says if you have an ox that falls into a ditch, you'll be able to pull that out. Another one says if you have a donkey, but the King James word is another word. Uh, fall in ditch, you can pull it out. And so my neighbor comes over and uh, he says, so, hey, preacher, you got your mm in the ditch right now and you're pulling it out? And I was like, what? Oh, and then it occurred to me, he was talking about like ox or sheep or something like that. I was like, oh, not my anatomy. Okay. Um, so anyway, I explained to my good Methodist neighbor why I was cutting my yard. Thank you, Sherry. But such things are grappled with in other cultures than here. I mean, you guys, you know, if it wasn't raining, to, well, even if it is raining, you'll go home and cut your yard. So. Yeah. Romans 14.5. So does that apply to the Sabbath or just for our holy days of eating and stuff like that? Well, you'll have to give me what that is. Uh, Are you checking ball scores? Oh, that's your Bible. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes. All of you tell me that these are your Bibles, but I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> your Facebooking or whatever. It's uh, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Yeah, I can't hardly hear all of that you're saying. Thank you, Leon. 14.5? Is that what you said? Yeah, and, and there's some other texts that wrestle with this whole thing about 
uh, a variety of, of uh, religious practices that one has uh, identified as holy, something that I do to set aside myself as unto God. And some of that's by observing certain days. Some of that's by eating certain meats or not eating certain meats uh, and things like that. And uh, what Paul is trying to do is begin to expand. Um, you know, we come from different cultures, and for some people, having the observance of that day or eating this certain kind of meat is not an issue for them. It never has been an issue for them. And so they have liberty at that point where it remains important to you to continue to observe these things as a way to keep yourself holy and separated unto God. So let's respect one another in these differences. And uh, for those of you that are getting to have the liberty, don't flaunt that in front of the others that are having a little more strict engagement or practice. Does that carry over to the Sabbath? Well, what do you think? I'm asking what you think. You have a comment, Leon? An awful lot. Most of this has to do with understanding that the Sabbath is an attitude and a recognition rather than a specific thing. Okay. So what Leon was saying, if you couldn't hear it, is a lot of this has to do with Sabbath being more of an attitude and disposition rather than a 24-hour block of time. And I think that's what we're getting at. And uh, I think that we have precedent for that with things that Jesus is uh, doing in today's text. Because he goes on to say that man was not created for the Sabbath. It wasn't like God had this day and, okay, let, let me create these creatures that have to fit into you know some kind of context here. But he said, rather... The Sabbath was created for man. And so it's, a, it's intended to be a blessing from him to us. And there's all kinds of other benefits we can talk about besides staying in communion with God and identifying ourselves as his followers. We can talk about all kinds of health benefits from uh, work cycles and emotional health and, and relational health and everything else. But those are all way secondary to the primary ones of having a regular communing with him and having ourselves identified with him. But uh, whether we are able to do that with a Sunday, a Monday, my Sabbath day is Friday. I tend to work on most Sundays. Um, the point is, is that I identify a Sabbath and I keep it as a matter of commitment to him and I do so in a way that I let other people know uh, this isn't just because I need a day of leisure, but this is a Sabbath. This is a, a way that I meaningfully connect with God. Because we have, you know, in our culture, uh, so many leisure opportunities. If you don't uh, articulate and verbalize something about why your day is set apart, you know, everybody just assumes it's another day of leisure for you. The other part of Sabbath keeping uh, calls for me to trust God. Uh, if everybody else is being able to make a living and get ahead and, and uh, advance in the race and climb the ladder or whatever because they're working seven days a week, can I in fact trust God with my livelihood, with my opportunities for advancement and so on, if I don't work like a maniac seven days a week? Can I trust Him? 
by having Sabbath. In the agricultural days, will we be okay if we don't harvest on that day or milk the cows on that day or whatever? It's, you know, a lot of the time that's not that big of an issue. And then there are other seasons where that's very hard for you to keep a Sabbath. Somebody else? Okay. Well, related to what Leon was saying, I think, is, is the, the definition of work those days versus how we define work today. And it all centers around the heart. And we do things sometimes on Sunday where we do things for people out of the heart. We don't really consider that work as opposed to our normal Monday through Friday kind of mm-hmm. work, I think. And so we kind of grapple with that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, it's... It's not we don't consider that work. We consider it pleasure if we're doing something for somebody else. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I know you couldn't hear all that, but uh, let me just say in response to it that I think it's important for us to have Sabbath day where we are primarily engaging activities that in, engage us with God and commune with God and refresh our, our hearts and our minds about who he is and what he does. And we have other days where we can do stuff for people and um, get chores done and things like that. Uh, somebody says, well, when I do my yard work, I really worship God. I really commune with God. And I'm like, you're lying to me. It just, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I've never met God there. I, I know, I know that's, I know that's the case for some. And so, you know, it's a, it's a honest heart issue at that point. Am I really out here to just be with God and enjoy God and, and, worship him and so on like that or if I don't get these weeds done people are going to think man what a crummy yard you know that kind of thing you, you have to be honest alright we're winding down any other last question alright we are going to uh, transition to the Lord's table and Sabbath, what an appropriate time for us to receive the Lord's Supper, because the whole matter of Sabbath is about our remembering Him. Who He is, what He's done, how great, how awesome. And Jesus said, and by the way, when you receive the Lord's Supper, I want you to remember. So before we receive these elements, let's take a couple of minutes to do that. And um, I, I want to invite you to, to, in a sentence or two, just stand up and say, I want to praise God because He is, or I want to thank God because He did, and whatever that is that's in you. Let's take just a couple of minutes to praise and to thank, to remember, and then we're going to receive these elements. How do you want to remember him today? Yes. Real loud. I want to thank God because my my dad came for my daughter's wedding and we've been fairly estranged and he never said he loved me and he has health issues right now that are really bad and he figures he's got about six months to live and he said. Well, what a gift that God allowed you the opportunity to hear from your dad that way. Amen.
Okay. Um, I just want to thank and praise God for the past week that I had with my family that God gave us my extended family, friends, and just a fellowship with all of them that I haven't had in a long time and wonderful weather to boot. So I just praise God for all of them. Thank you, Lord, for family time. Yeah. Okay. I want to praise God for giving me an opportunity to work with a wonderful group of people and with uh, a very meaningful and purposeful yeah. uh, direction. So thank you, Lord, for a job. Thank you that it's meaningful and that it makes a difference and that it's interesting to me. And uh, when you come from a season of unemployment, to employment, uh, that gratitude level is just a little, a little higher sometimes. And so, thank you, Martha, for sharing that. I want to thank you, Lord, for So we thank God for a former pastor in Gay's life that helped her to really get in touch with some of God's grace and mercy and, and the liberty and freedom that he can bring. All right. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I want to praise God for his word, um, for his son, who promises that he's gentle, humble, and humble. And that is just Yeah, yeah. Thank you for mentioning that because... Uh, that passage obviously just preceded what we're talking about today, that his yoke is easy and those that are heavy, burdened, uh, can come to him. And as we were explaining last week, he was saying, uh, you come to me. It's not about scrapping and working the law so that you can be aligned with God. You just, I've done that work for you. You come to me, be yoked with me. And the same thing is true here with Sabbath. See, right on the heels of saying, come to, don't get in this whole legalism thing. He says uh, this story on the Sabbath. So thank you. Somebody else over here? Yes, sir. Well, thank God that he's in charge and I don't have to work seven days a week constantly. And we do get Sabbath. Amen. Me too. I'm glad for you. Despite my best efforts, so what? Okay. I'm afraid, thank God, for his faithfulness. So many times I just worry about things and God is just forever faithful over and over again. And I remember reading the Bible years ago, and I used to think, when I first started, look at those Israelites. God was so faithful, and yet time and time again, they just kept doubting him and doubting him and doubting him. And I'm like, I'm like an Israelite, because he's faithful to me over and over again. But yet next week, tomorrow, I'm going to worry about something, mm-hmm. and he will be faithful. So I just thank God for that. Amen. He is faithful. Okay. Um, I want to thank God for the uh, opportunity to have couple weeks of the life work in the uh, uh, major life change. Yeah. So Laura gives thanks to the Lord for an opportunity that he's given her. She's about to go to Haiti. Is that what you're talking about? And do some uh, ministry and some housework, uh, building on houses and things like that. And so uh, we pray God's blessings, but we also thank him for giving you that opportunity. Yes, sir. I want to thank God for the sheer amount of abundance we had. Yeah. Yesterday when we were standing up saying, please take this food, please 
means I beg you. Where else in the world could that kind of richness happen? Thank the Lord for abundance that we, we get to have. Well, we're going to move to the Lord's table now. And uh, those that are going to serve with me, if you'll come join me right now. While they're coming, let me just give you a couple of words of instruction. Uh, the Lord's Supper is for any person who has made a life commitment to Jesus Christ. If uh, He is, in fact, your Lord and uh, you're living uh, daily in a way that has your life in alignment with Him, then you're welcome to receive these elements. As I mentioned at the outset of the service, uh, the Scriptures exhort us to examine our hearts. So if there's some kind of practice of sin that you're just not letting go of, uh, the Bible says then you probably need to take a pass on having the Lord's Supper until you're willing to let go of this thing that's between you and God. Okay? So just that word to the wise. Um, Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to first share the bread with you. And if you, uh, when the plate comes your way, take a piece of bread and just hold it until everybody's been served. And then uh, we will consume that bread together. And then we'll do the same thing with the cup. Okay? So, uh, Father, we assemble around your table in the name of Jesus with gratitude. We've been remembering you. And now we receive these elements as uh, an expression of your uh, gift of life to us and our willingness to follow you with a whole heart. Amen.